Hey, everybody, it's well, Mike from the Mike Wagner Show, powered by SoundCloud Studios. Visit online at SoundCloudStudios.com for all your needs. Look at a professional website without breaking your budget. SoundCloud Studios is the answer. SoundCloud Studios offers fast, affordable custom web designs that blow the competition away. Call today, 1-800-303-3960. That's 1-800-303-3960. Or email to support at SoundCloudStudios.com. Mention the Mike Wagner Show. Get 20% off first project. SoundCloud Studios, take your image to the next level. Also, time to give an official shout-out to our official sponsor of the Mike Wagner Show, international warring author Mia Molson-Zia. If you love fast-paced mysteries, you'll love Missing by Mia Molson-Zia, available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing is fast-paced and intriguing with an unforgettable twist. It takes place in four countries, two strangers, one target, where truth is illusion and those you love will be the first go missing. It's available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing by Mia Molson-Zia has gotten great reviews. And Eve Levin enjoys about how its celebrities, including Joanna Katzen, Forbes Riley, and Manales. So grab your copy today for Goes Missing by Mia Molson ZF, available on Amazon. Also, check out the Mike Widener Show at themikewidenershow.com on over 40 podcast platforms heard in over 100 countries, including Facebook, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Also, Anchor FM, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, Audible, Apple Music. Also heard on uh, Hamilton Radio, Diamonds FM, Oldies Radio, and more. Take the Mike Widener Show with you on any mobile device. Subscribe to the Mike Widener Show on the YouTube channel. Follow the Mike Widener Show on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok today. And for great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com and check out the Mike Widener Show podcast. T-shirts, pop sockets, throw pillows, tote bags, hoodies. Makes great gifts 24-7, Amazon.com. Check out the Mike Widener Show podcast. And for more great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com slash me and Wilson DF for great books like Missing, Once, and Wrinkles. Also, T-shirts, pop sockets, hoodies, phone cases, and more. Amazon.com slash Mia Molson Zia. Check it out today. I'll support the Mike Widener Show on Anchor FM, PayPal, and the Mike Show.com. Make sure you do so today. We're here with a terrific gentleman who can't wait to get on the program. He's an actor, comedian, writer born in Morristown, New Jersey, to a Brazilian parents and raised in Sao Paulo. And uh, he also was fascinated with the, the movies at a very young age, influenced by his dad and a prominent role as a Warner Brothers executive. We'll talk about that. And, of course, he went to a uh, graded school in Sao Paulo, also the Bellas um, Boarding School in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. He also began his career as a voice actor, created his first video at seven, and began uh, in with Damon's Dash, DD172. And he also speaks three languages, celebrity impersonator, and an Avid's winner holding Olympic qualifying trials. We can all use that, right? So he's also winner of the 20 uh, Accolade Global Film uh, Competition, 21 winner of the um, Chandler International Film Fest, and uh, creative director of Universal's um, Flava. And uh, he's also... Um, a comedian and how do you get to be a comic comedian we'll talk about that he's done some projects live ladies and gentlemen from plus studios in beautiful downtown los angeles the multi-talented actor comedian writer from morristown new jersey and to brazilian parents raised in uh, brazil and he's in los angeles and he's gonna put on a show tonight ladies and gentlemen the amazing multi-talented um dennis fitoza fitoza best known as deaf noodles Dennis, good morning good afternoon good evening and thanks for joining us today well, thank you so much for having me, Mike. I appreciate you. Well, it's great to have you on board as well, too. And I can tell you wanted to get on the show, and this is so amazing, too. So, you know, I checked yeah. out your work. It's great. And you've got um, – we'll talk about your uh, upcoming projects as well with the new web series. You've been with uh, Eric Roberts. You've also been in um, Applaud, The Thief, Job Interview, and more. You're an actor, comedian, writer uh, from uh, Morristown, New Jersey, to Brazilian parents. You lived in uh, – Sao Paulo, Brazil for a while. You got fascinated with movies, influenced by a dad who was a Warner Brothers executive, and you also began a career of voice actor, creator of first video at seven, and you also were in Damon's Dash, DD172, and um, you also speak three different languages, celebrity impersonator, you're an avid swimmer holding Olympic um, qualifying times, and uh, you also became career director at uh, Univision's Flama, and um, you also did some uh, Alien Covenant uh, uh, parody as well, too. And, uh, <laughs> you know, doing a web series. And you you stumble into a new venture during the pandemic. And before getting all that, Dennis, tell us how I first got started. Tell us what? Sorry. Tell, tell, <laughs> tell us how you first got started. Oh, I first got started uh, in life or uh, making videos or in the business or? Go, go, go into the way back machine, Sherman, the way back machine. Way back. Okay. So it's actually one of those stories that you just hear in this business. And uh, it, it just seems a little bit like an urban legend. But when I was like maybe five or six years old, I was in Brazil, which where I grew up with my parents. I was actually, I was born in New Jersey, but I never really lived there. I was like, I, I grew up, I lived there by act, like 
I was born there by accident. I lived there maybe like two months and then my parents moved back to Brazil. And my brother was born 18 months after me. He was born in Brazil and I grew up there. I never really lived in America. But um, I was in Sao Paulo. We were at the mall, like walking around with my mom. It was me, my brother and my mom. And uh, this, we, I was like arguing with my brother over something like really petty, like, like little kids do. And um, this woman walked up to us and said, oh, I like your kids. They're funny. And like she gave her, she gave my mom her card and said, I'd love to represent them to go so they can go out for commercials. Right. And that's how I started auditioning for commercials. And then eventually that led into voiceover work and other things. And, uh, but yeah, I started also from a very young age, just uh, with my brother messing around, making videos and uh, making like short films and other things. And uh, yeah, all of that kind of led me to where I am. Hmm. So that's, that's really interesting. And also it all started with an argument almost over nothing. I think we should all do that. Start yeah. an argument, just get somebody's attention. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was an argument that was literal. I don't even remember what the argument was. I just remember, like, the lady walking up to my mom doing that. My mom was, like, hesitant. But then a week later, we were in this office, and I, I was having – I was auditioning for a part, and I had to, like, skateboard. And I was, like, five or six. I never skateboarded before. I eventually started skateboarding, but at the time I didn't even know how to stand on top of the skateboard. I just remember going off the infinity wall and the skateboard going right through it. Uh, and I was like, okay. <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was definitely uh, something. Uh. <laughs> mm -hmm. And certainly it was as well too. And uh, you also were fascinated with movies as a young kid influenced by a dad who was a Warner brothers executive. And um, you know, tell yeah. us about that, that adventure as well too. What? I got very lucky. My my dad, uh, like my dad was the first person in his family to go to college. Like he came from a very poor area in Brazil, in the northeast of Brazil, which is, uh, it's called Serra. And it's like a very dry, like area. There's no water. They have to drill down, like literally, like maybe 10, 20 feet into the ground to bring up water. They had to have a well and stuff. They had to have like a live-in teacher to teach. My brother had like eight or nine brothers wow. and sisters. And uh, they all lived in the same house and they had to have like a live-in teacher to teach them so that they could, you know, do the, the, you know, basic education. And then eventually, I think when my dad was like six or seven, they moved down to Sao Paulo, which is where he, he lived the rest of his life and eventually, you know, married my mom and stuff. And, um, so from there, my dad, like all his brothers and sisters, because he was the second youngest, they pulled their money together, essentially got him to go through college. And he got a job at Deloitte. And after six years of applying so he could go and finish his CPA in America, he was selected by a lottery to go. And then ironically enough, my mom was already pregnant. Like they got married a month and I, my mom was pregnant and they got married a month before he was selected to go after he spent years applying. So then wow. that's the story of how he ended up going to New Jersey and, and then finishing his CPA degree in, at NYU. And he was there for just seven months or something like that. And then the month after that, he moved back to Brazil. And about, I think a couple of years later, he was uh, hired by Warner Brothers and he worked at Warner Brothers for about a decade. But he left in 2003, so he hasn't really been. And it's Warner Brothers in Brazil. So um, he did end up coming here, like, I think once every few months, you know, for meetings and stuff. But, uh, yeah, he was like, he worked for Warner Brothers in Brazil. And uh, it was good because uh, I got, we got a lot of screeners. So I got to watch a lot, a lot of movies. And that's really what, like, uh, ended up kind of inspiring me to do what I do. I, I just... I was always around movies and animations and just being a kid, I, I would emulate the voices and even draw the cartoons that I would see. And, hmm. and it just, I was just imitating everything I was seeing because I wanted to replicate it and make it my own. Right. Um, and that's kind of like what, you know, started my creative journey. You know, the first short film I remember doing, I, I don't even want to call it a short film, just the first video I did with my, uh, my dad and my brother, we were in his office and I had to do a report card for this, uh, for this book, this like Roald Dahl book, the BFG, the big friendly giant. Mm -hmm. And, um, we were, you know, my dad filmed it. My brother was like, just, you know, acting up and kind of heckling me off camera. And I was just like playing this 
not at all serious, like anchorman person. And we were just joking around. And I talked a little bit about the, um, the, the book and that was it. Uh, you know, everything was an excuse for me to make it like creative a video of some sort. Every time I got in like a group project, I would always be the one who did the visual aspect of it somehow, whether it was just like a PowerPoint slide presentation and I would like make it way more creative than it had to be, or it was a video itself, you know? Um, but yeah, eventually I taught myself how to edit on, uh, on premiere. And, uh, I think I was like 14 or 15 when that happened. I was editing mostly in camera. Yeah. Until, up until then. And then I was like, Oh wow, I can, I can edit in a computer and make it a lot easier. Right. So that's how I started doing. And then I started using premiere and then eventually final cut. Um, and I, I was a part of my school's like AV team or group. And I took like classes and I, I got a little bit better here and there. And then, uh, but yeah, it's always been something I did and I've always been passionate about. So I feel like it's been kind of inevitable for me to get to where I am. Mm, that's rather interesting, too. You also got noticed, um, you know, working on Damon Dash's uh, DD-172. And uh, tell us about that project. Yeah, so that was my first job. So I, I have to backtrack a little bit. So I ended up going to film school in Brazil and it was just an awful experience uh, all together because growing up creating stuff uh it was just uh, film school was just the most in brazil at least unsettling thing because i would just go and i would watch all these old movies i I was watching like eisenstein frank capra and all this stuff which i love but i was watching and i was like i wasn't creating which is really what i wanted to do i grew up watching a lot of that stuff anyway not the the eisenstein stuff but that was like new stuff that my teachers were showing me, but like, you know, I, I just wanted to make more. That's why I went to film school. And I like the only way that they would let us make stuff is like, we had to have like a school editor edit it for us. And we had to have someone else manage the camera. And I was like, I just want to do it myself. So I ended up eventually dropping out of film school and then transferring to Florida from Sao Paulo to Florida to finish my school, you know, in advertising. And then, you know, two years later, I, fin I, I I finished advertising and moved to New York, where I got my first job, which was working for Dame, Damon Dash. He was one of the founders of Rockefeller with Jay-Z and Biggs. He's uh, very well known in the hip hop community. Uh, definitely a very influential person in that uh, world. He created Rockaware. He created Rachel Roy, a, a lot of like clothing brands as well. He's just a... Uh, you know, serial entrepreneur and a very successful person. And he kind of showed me the other side of the business itself because there's a creative aspect, but there's like the entrepreneurial aspect of it. And he kind of, I kind of learned by seeing and hearing him talk and seeing how he managed his businesses, just how you could also be creative as an entrepreneur and make cool things, right? Like he would say cool shit, cool fly shit, which is what he always focuses on. You know, it, for him, it, like integrity is like a big thing. And it, a lot of those things I would hear him talking, it kind of instilled the same spirit in me because it was like the first like job I had in the business job job. I, I did a bunch of like jobs, like working as a PA here and there. But that was like the first time that I had like a job that I had to show up to like every day at a certain time and uh, I, like create a certain amount of stuff. And it was great because it kind of just let me create whatever I wanted. So, yeah, it was great. Uh, I learned a lot uh, and then I took those lessons and I've been applying them to things up, up to this day, really. Mm -hmm. And you also did some work with uh, upcoming artists like uh, Currency, also did a concert documentary for Adidas and also uh, two unreleased um, concert tour documentaries as well. Two year olds and directed 23 yeah. sketch shows and um, also became current director for Universal's uh, Flam, which had to be amazing as well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a lot of years co like <laughs> compressed into one thing. But yeah, I did. I went on tour with Currency. For those of you at home who don't know, Currency is a rapper from New Orleans. Um, I went on tour with Currency, uh, and there's like a, a rapper also from New York. His name's uh, Smoke Dizza. Uh, there's a guy from Ohio, Stali. So everybody went on tour to Toronto and the Northeast of, of you know, Vermont and uh, New York and uh, in New York State, all that stuff. And it was great. Uh, so that was one. You know, I shot, I, uh, I shot and edited 
documentary that was at the Brooklyn Bowl. Uh, that was before that, maybe a few months before that. Uh, and that ended up getting distributed in Adidas stores. And then the other stuff, um, I assume that Damon has the, the footage for it because I was working with him and, you know, collaborating with him when we uh, shot that stuff. But yeah, that, that's, uh, I spent a good part of my formative years in this business shooting and working with a lot of musicians and rappers and just going on tour with them and shooting vlogs for them before vlogs were like really a thing. I, uh, I crashed on, uh, there's this guy called the, uh, Mikey rocks from the cool kids in Chicago. And I, I crashed on his couch for like a week at one point and we just shot a bunch of music videos and vlogs. And, um, it was just really cool. It was like, you know, it was the, the, the some of the first steps that I took in this business. Um, and then they eventually, you know, along with everything I was doing, I was also still pursuing, uh, you know, training and, uh, practicing as an actor and comedian. So, you know, when I moved to Florida, I, I always did acting training, even in Brazil. And I was always a part of community theater productions, even in Brazil. But when I moved to, to Florida, I started doing them like in the town that I was in. I did a, a lot of Shakespeare in the park, a lot of that stuff. And then eventually when I moved to New York, I started getting involved with the improv theaters and, and, you know, there's UCB, there's the magnet, the pit and, the Annoyance, which is a theater from Chicago that have, uh, that later moved to, to New York. And I was involved, did a lot of one-man shows, a lot of improv shows for years. And that ended up leading me into stand-up, into doing open mics. And, uh, yeah, and then after years of doing that, that, I ended up, you know, getting my own club, you know, somehow. <laughs> uh, things ended up leading into this. So, That's really yeah, and then... Go yeah, ahead. I'm go sorry. Ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. Oh yeah, no. Uh, and then the the Flama stuff ended up coming as a result of being involved in the UCB improv community. It was one of my friends. I was in an improv team with uh, with this with this guy uh, Lee Chin, who's one of my friends. Uh, and we used to hang out a lot and just make stuff together. And then one day he worked at Flama. He was an editor. And he uh, he said, you know, we need somebody who is Brazilian to write sketches about being Brazilian because Flama, it was a, a millennial Latino, first generation Latino content house or whatever. It was like we were creating content for Latinos who primarily spoke English or like were really Americanized. Right. Um, so. Yeah, that's what I initially went on there to do. I, I wrote a couple of sketches that went really viral. Like one of them got over 5 million views in a day. Wow. Another one got over 8 million views in, in a day. And then I wrote other sketches and I produced a, a bunch of different series with people uh, who, you know, uh, at Flama, uh, I made like, uh, I, I used to make these little silly series of like finish the song. I'd play like which is a, a, a game show from Brazil. I, I assume that they have it here too, but in Brazil, there's this game show with this guy called Subu Santos. He's like one of the biggest hosts in Brazil. And he would play like, it, it was essentially a challenge. Like if you could figure out the song with the fewest amount of notes, then you would win like something, right? Mm, and uh, yeah, so like ultimately you would want to figure out the song with just one note, right? Or, or it's like, it's that. like name that tune pretty much. Pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember that game. So, yeah, it's like other times I get on one note, it takes me like several, and I still don't get it. I remember that very well. <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of the same thing. I'd play like three seconds of the song, and it would be like the most, even if it was like a really recognizable song, I'd play the randomest part. And I, I you know, I, the the focus was to just get funny, natural moments with people, which is like, it, you know, it, it's what I think most people connect with. It's funny natural moments where people are just being themselves and let their guards down and just having fun you know which is kind of what how i've been molding my social media persona as of late it's been going more in that direction even though i i had my social media persona at first was completely satirical and i was just making fun of people that i thought was at, were absolutely despicable but uh that's beside the point <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, I, uh, that's what I'm kind of like shifting my presence now towards, you know, just, uh, it, it, which I, is something I feel like the internet kind of is missing. Like there's an aspect of authenticity, which is really lost on the internet. Um, a lot of people feel compelled to say 
what is popular or what other people think is right. Right. And they kind of just go along with the flow, even if it's against a better judgment and uh, they'll just, you know, parrot, you know, all this shit and, and essentially sometimes even destroy someone's lives without even double checking what's really happening, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And of course you also had some work done as well too. You also been um, with, with a plant, the thief, the job interview. You also have a new web series yeah. coming up uh, with uh, some involved from Lauren uh, Francesca, also Elizabeth yeah. um, Barton, also with um, Larry Hankin as well too, from friends and more. You also have uh, yeah. we'll talk about that in your comedy career, but first listen to the Mike Wagner show at the Mike Wagner show.com powered by Sonic web studios. Visit online at sonicwebstudios.com for all your needs. Look at a professional website without breaking your budget. Sonic Web Studios is the answer. Sonic Web Studios offers fast, affordable custom web designs at below the competition rate. Call today, 1-800-303-3960. That's 1-800-303-3960. Or email to support at sonicwebstudios.com. Mention to Mike Widener's show, get 20% off your first project. Sonic Web Studios, take your image to the next level. Also, time to give an official shout-out to our official sponsor of the Mike Wagner Show, international warring author Mia Molson-Zia. If you love fast-paced mysteries, you love Missing by Mia Molson-Zia, available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing is fast-paced and intriguing with an unforgettable twist. Takes place in four countries, two strangers, one target, where truth is illusion and those you love be the first go missing. It's available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing by Mia Molson-Zia has garnered great reviews and Eve 11 enjoys by Howard celebrities, including Joanna Cassie, Forge Riley, and Minnows. So grab your copy today for Goes Missing by Mia Molson-Zia, available on Amazon. Also, check out the Mike Widener Show at themikewidenershow.com and over 40 podcast platforms heard in over 100 countries. Also on HamiltonRadio.net, Diamonds FM, Oldies Radio, and a few coming soon. Tickets with you on any mobile device. Subscribe to the Mike Widener Show on the YouTube channel. Follow the Mike Widener Show on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok today. For great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com and check out the Mike Widener Show podcast. And for more great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com slash Mia for great books, merchandise, and more. I'll support the Mike Widener Show on Anchor FM, PayPal, and the themikewidenershow.com. Make sure you do so today. We're here with the amazing actor, comedian, writer from uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Dennis Feitoza, best known as Deaf Noodles here on the Mike Widener Show. Before I talk about your comedy career and um, how it all came about, uh, you've also been in some movies too, like Applaud, The Thief, The Job Interview, Classic, the TV series, The Great Brooklyn Bridge, uh, Party and More. Tell us about some of your projects as well, too, and yeah. you know, how you got involved in being inspired. So I I, uh, I did a lot of short films in New York. Like I said, I, I never I never, had, I never take a break. So I'm always working on weekends and, and filling up my time with doing stuff. So I, I did I collaborated with a lot of different people and did a lot of short films. Even went out on my own like that. That Brooklyn Bridge thing was uh, was during the Occupy Wall Street uh protests i i just picked up my camera and i was like i want to document some of it i ended up on the bridge when like 800 people were arrested uh and along with media or new york new york times journalists and uh people from the washington post everybody was arrested and spent the night in jail uh even though i was there to just film it was the first day that i ever went down to the protest but uh yeah um, as far as, uh, the classic, so one of my jobs, I, I worked doing broadcast, uh, in, you know, in Brooklyn and I ended up collabing with this, uh, with a guy who was on, uh, Matlock. His name is, uh, Danny, forgot his last name, Danny, ah, uh, man, I feel so bad. Uh, anyway, the, Matlock. The only person I could think of is like Andy Griffith from Matlock. Otherwise that's it. That was a good show though. Yeah, that was a good show. So he was on Matlock. He was the young guy on Matlock. Uh, I can't remember his last name. Danny something. If you remember, type it in the comments right now. Or send Mike <laughs> a message and let him know. Uh, we do so. We are accessible on Facebook, right? Yeah. So like you can do that all the time. I mean, that's social media yeah. for you. So <laughs> we learn exactly. too. So. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I ended up producing a show where uh, this was uh, another, I guess, opportunity for me to like learn more about the greats and all that stuff. Cause like uh, it was a show where he essentially looked back on all these, on this treasure trove of like old uh, movies and television shows and sitcoms and um, you know, talk shows. And I got to essentially watch a lot of stuff that I'd never seen before, ever heard of. Like I knew about Lucy but I got to watch like the entire spinoff that, that happened afterwards. 
which I hadn't really watched. I watched all the Chaplin movies. I watched a, a talk show that I had no idea existed, Red Skelton. And like, I, I just, that was my job was to essentially watch stuff and curate it for the show. And I would watch seven to eight movies or TV shows a day. Right. Wow. Um, and, and then I would just like select what would make it onto the show. And this was like months and months and months. So my entire job was just watching stuff. So that ended up like informing me of a, a lot of like different things that you can do in production to make something like good, right. Look good. And, uh, really gave me an understanding of like the history of, of things and why certain things, why there's a laugh track, why certain things are filmed in front of a live studio audience, et cetera. Um, so that was a show that I did, you know, uh, and, you know, uh, like I said, I was, you know, producing a lot of stuff on the side as well. And one thing led to another, I ended up finding a collaborator of mine, uh, you know, later and we produced a lot of things together. We produced a pilot, uh, that, uh, with Larry Hankin, who's one of my favorite actors. He wasn't just on, on friends. He was also on, on Seinfeld. I remember that. Yeah. I I had him on my show back then. It's like Larry Hankin. I thought, I had that guy on. That guy was amazing. I mean, he had he's stories so like funny. a King Scroll. Yes, he is so funny. He's one of the funniest uh, actors. Uh, he's old school. I think I talked to him about it. Like he he went to Second City. I think if I'm not wrong, he went to one of those Chicago schools. And mm-hmm. I was talking to him, to him and like uh, just very funny. It, it, it's always good to work with somebody who had who's been doing this like a lot longer than you because you end up matching like experiences right like i'm in a part of my journey that he probably went through already so as like an improviser and comedian he has his own like you know things that happen to him in this business and it's always good to hear what somebody else experienced and um i always find that interesting so uh he's super funny improvised a whole lot i let him do whatever the hell he wanted i was directing it mostly i acted in a few different i played like a small part but um, but I directed it and co-wrote the the script and uh, produced it as well and um, it was it was just a lot of fun you know to to do that like multi-camera coverage sitcom uh, without it didn't have a laugh track but we we kind of made it work without the laugh track without the live studio audience we had some really amazing sound stages here in LA that we got to work with they were at actually. Uh, YouTube's, uh, you know, headquarters here. They at the time they were building sound stages and letting YouTubers film there. They don't do this anymore, which is kind of a shame. Um, but they they were doing this at the time. I also got to shoot a short. Uh, they would do these kinds of things where they were like literally Fox would fly in an entire set from Alien Covenant, and huh. they would set it up at YouTube. Then they would have YouTubers come in and they would do a whole campaign. Right? They they don't do this anymore. But you know, I got to shoot one of the shorts that I shot was in the set of alien covenant. And it was funny because they had the same crew working throughout the whole thing. And uh, they, you would, you know, I'd ask them how the other shoots went and that like one of the guys mentioned, Oh yeah, you have no idea. Like during this shoot, we found the biggest spider I've ever seen, which I'm pretty sure ended up being flown with all the props <laughs> over from Australia by mistake. So yeah, that was uh you know, and I, that's that's pretty much what I feel like. Honestly, when you start listing out the stuff like that, I'm like, everything feels kind of like a blur. Because <laughs> it's like, I I always make something and I don't stop. I move on to the next thing. So it's like, you know, it's compounding. So at this point, I have no idea how much I've even made. I think just on my YouTube channel alone, I've made over 1,200 videos in like the last nice. two years. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a lot. Uh and I love to create. I really can't. Like, I feel I can't stop, you know. Like, I, I if I ever do, I I honestly feel bad. <laughs> I can't, I can't like, deal with myself if I ever stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ideas just, like, end up becoming overwhelming. Mm-hmm. You also had another, um, you know, movie as well, too, with uh, Eddie featuring Eric Roberts. That's a known name. So uh, tell us more oh, about yeah. that. So that was uh, that was also with the collaborator, the, the same Lauren, with whom I made the uh, the the pilot. It was around the time actually we shot the movie first, and then we shot the pilot. It was like about a less than two or three weeks apart. But uh, her dad had written a script and had spent a lot of his time developing that script. And his, her dad is a dance and acting teacher, 
in Queens. And, uh, you know, he, he has certain stories that he had developed that he was really looking forward uh, to producing. And, um, and we ended up, you know, making it happen. It was on a shoestring budget. We brought everything together and uh, ended up making what is called a 14-day miracle, which is like to shoot a whole movie in 14 days is like absolutely insane, especially for the budget that we had. It was about $70,000. Wow. <laughs> but we had a 20 person crew and we squeezed it all out. And a lot of people working uh, did their best too. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a great learning experience. Um, and it led to other things. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to eventually go back to doing long form stuff as well. Mm -hmm. so. and, and, and of course you talked a lot about, uh, you know, you know, checking out certain styles, I mean, influenced by certain styles and, um, you know, copying mm -hmm. certain styles, emulating certain styles, like in um, film, TV, production, everything else. Who are some of your favorite directors uh, growing up? I think probably Stanley Kubrick. I was obsessed with Stanley Kubrick. I used to rewatch uh, his movies every morning, uh, <laughs> especially around the, I, I, I also have a pretty, I guess, a pretty weird story. So, when my dad was still at Warner Brothers uh, when Kubrick was alive, and I think I was maybe 11 or 10 years old when Kubrick died, and his last movie was Eyes Wide Shut, right? Oh, Which yeah. Is, that was a classic. Yeah. Nicole Kidman, Tom Cruise, that was a classic. Yeah, it was a great movie, and uh, it got released. He finished the movie, and it got released shortly after he died. So it was released in movie theaters, like, shortly, you know, maybe a few weeks after he passed away. And I remember my dad, he was like, you have to watch this movie in a movie theater because it's Stanley Kubrick's last movie. He's the greatest movie director who ever lived. So you have to like experience it. And I mean, it's a totally inappropriate movie to take an 11 year old. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't understand the movie. And there was like all the shit that's happening. And, you know, years later, I, I rewatched it and I was like, okay, all this makes sense. Right. <laughs> Uh, but it was, you know, I, I still, I, I kind of value that my dad, even though it was a messed up movie to take an 11 year old, I, I do value that my dad gave me that experience. I got to watch a Stanley Kubrick movie in a movie theater because uh, when he was still like, you know, when the movie came out, because, you know, later on, uh, there's this place in New York that I had a membership for it was a film forum. And they usually get, uh, you know, reprints of, of uh a film and they'll play it, but it's not the same thing to watch a movie getting, you know, it's, it's different when you're there in the movie theater as the movie, you know, you're experiencing it with everybody else for the first time. And um, yeah, that was, that was something that was great. Um, and that, yeah, I, I grew up watching, uh, you know, I even watched uh, Passive Glory, Spartacus, um, uh, Clockwork Orange, Clockwork um, Orange, that's one of my favorites, I thought, Stanley Cooper. Yeah. What were your thoughts on Clockwork Orange? That was the ultimate classic. Yeah, it's a, it's a great great movie. It's a, it's kind of a, a terrifying movie, too, because of, uh, you know, everything you see this character go through and his psychosis, and, and then he ends up essentially being reprogrammed by the government, and he becomes the very thing that he like is on the other side of the spectrum, right? Because if I remember this correctly, and I haven't watched this movie in a bit, but he ends up becoming a police officer, right? Or no, at the end, he's harassed. He's released and he's harassed by his friends who have become police officers. So it's, it's almost like it's, I mean, the, the story itself is an allegory for how you, how the government or how, you know, society, society, or you can be reprogrammed into essentially losing what makes you unique, even if you are a violent individual like that. You know, he was like, he's the most, Alex DeLarge is the most extreme example of a, a, a teenager who gone wild, right? He's like committing crimes, he's doing all this shit. But at the end of the day, there's that, that moral question of like, should he have been um, essentially reprogrammed? the way that he was, was there a more humane way to treat with his psychosis, right? And I'm saying psychosis, I'm not diagnosing him, but it's just, to me, to do the type of insane shit that he was doing, he kind of got to be a little psychotic, um, you know? Mm -hmm. and, 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 I, and I remember watching that too. It's like with some themes I would probably not want to, want to talk as well too. And um, 
you know, of course, you know, being with your dad around Warner Brothers and all that. And um, you know, I was just thinking about you talked about some of the cartoons that was going on and everything else. Where are some of your favorite Warner Brother characters um, you, you, know, you enjoyed yeah. watching? I was just going to think about that, but then we got off from this and off from that. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking yeah. about that. <laughs> uh, I really liked I really liked Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck. Those were the ones I grew up watching a lot. Um there were also there was also around a time where uh, like Steven Spielberg started collabing with uh, with Warner and uh, he produced a whole bunch of animations. He made uh, you know Pinky and the Brain, Animaniacs. Tones, that's one of my favorites. Oh my gosh, yes, yeah. So I, I watched those two. Those were a lot of fun. Um, it's funny because because my household was so much like Warner Brothers, I kind of missed out on the whole like Disney thing. And Disney is so massive in America, it almost like feels like I missed like an entire chunk. Because I, I hear people like, especially, you know, people I hang out with who do like improv or other things, like they'll, they'll talk about Disney movies all the time. And I'm like, uh, I missed that. Because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's a lot of competition among the, the majors, right? And like, uh, they really don't uh, mess with each other. But yeah. That's what that was my household. It was a, mo- a lot of uh, Bugs Bunny, a lot of uh, Wally Coyote, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, you've done some celebrity impersonations as well, too. And you speak three languages, and plus, you're an avid swimmer, holding uh, Olympic uh, qualifying times. Yeah. It's like, you know, how, how does one do that? It's like, I don't know if I could be able to, um, you know, swim as fast. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't have those qualifying times anymore. I, I stopped swimming when I was 18, but I, uh, when I was, Around 11, 12, I started training to be a swimmer. And there was like a big thing in my family, and you know, to, to just have that because of the discipline that comes with it. So I eventually, uh, you know, ended up going to a boarding school where I could continue training. And the boarding school was, uh, it was Bowles in Jacksonville, Florida. It was, um, it, was a, it was a very intense year in my life because I was by myself for the first time when I was 12. Um, but it, it taught me a lot. Uh, the school itself, like, I think the year that I got there, the athletes, the, the high school athletes at the school, they had combined won over 23 medals or something at the previous Olympics. So the, the head coach of the school was also the head coach of the women's swimming team uh, for the U.S. So it was it definitely had a lot of uh, a lot of really talented people there. So, um, you know, and I, I got into the schedule of practicing, if getting in the pool at five, five thirty in the morning, and then leaving at seven, seven thirty, and then going to class, and and then leaving around three, and go, getting back in the pool and doing other kinds of exercises. And I did that for years until I was eighteen, and I just like burned out, and I couldn't do it. And my real, it wasn't my real passion. I was throughout this whole time still going on auditions, still you know doing acting training and theater productions and all this stuff and the little bit of time that I had and making things with my brother. So I always wanted to go back to that. You know, even when I was swimming, it's like such a lonely sport because your head's literally buried in the water the whole time for hours a day. And, <laughs> Just like a cartoon yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. So, and I would be thinking of these things that I wanted to produce these creative ideas. And, you know, it was like really frustrating because I would write them down and I wouldn't have as much time as I would like to produce all that stuff because I was so focused on swimming. But, you know, after I essentially had that, uh, that ended, I had more time to do it. Um, okay. So, and, yeah. plus, and plus, this also led you to a career of being um, deaf noodles. We'll talk about that transformation with uh, Dennis Fetoso. We'll listen to Mike Wagner's show at the MikeWagnerShow.com, powered by Soundquip Studios. Visit online at SoundquipStudios.com for all he needs. Also brought to you by official sponsor, the Mike Wagner Show, International Warring Author Mia Molson's The Missing, available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. We'll be back with the multi talented actor, comedian, and writer Dennis Fetoso, best known as Deaf Noodles, after this time on. We're back with the multi-talented Dennis Feitoza here on the Mike Widener Show. And he goes from Dennis to being Deaf Noodles. And tell us about the transformation going from you, Dennis, to being Deaf Noodles. Yeah, so that's uh, it was an interesting moment in my life. I, I had actually, I lived in New York for a long time. And I uh, needed a change of scenery. I got an offer to come out here and produce videos for YouTubers. And I started learning about the YouTube algorithm and how to make content for YouTube, which is a science in and of itself. And at one point, I just decided to, you know, to make videos for myself. I was already making videos like for years, but never like it, it's a, it was different. I decided to make videos specifically to perform well on YouTube. 
And I created a bunch of channels and I was essentially, uh, you know, experimenting with what worked and what didn't. And I was like, on, at one point I was producing like six, seven videos a day. Um, but I was, I was in LA. It was really broke. Uh, the, the apartment I had was like uh, the size of my bathroom now. And I couldn't film videos in there. So I moved everything to the kitchen that I shared with my roommate. And I just put a green screen behind me. And I was, uh, you know, I'd record these videos all day long, uh, you know, in between uh, making videos for other YouTubers and uh, videos that would actually, you know, make me money. And I would, um, yeah. And then uh, I, 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 because it was like such a depressing scenario and I was like so hot and I was sweating in this kitchen all the time. I, I was thinking like, was something that could, uh, you know, remind me of a good time in, uh, in my life or keep that memory going. And I remember when I was a kid in Brazil uh, playing video games, you know, when you get a high score in a video game, you get the three letters that you can put your initials on. Oh, I and, remember that. Yes. Yeah. And of course, you you got really creative, too. It's like you just um, create words, write a message and all that. I remember that. Yeah. Like, what were some of your favorite video games back then? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Some of my favorite ones. I mean, I, I like to play Time Crisis. It's like a first-person shooter game. <laughs> a lot of the first – I like those games. Uh, uh, there's like – I like the strategy of it. and uh, But, yeah, so, uh, like, the whole thing with the, the high score. So, you know, you put your first three initials. My initials are DFF. But as a kid, I didn't understand that it was like the first letters of your name. I, I thought it was the first two letters of my first name and the first letter of my last name. Cause I was just like some miscommunication with me being in, from Brazil, you know, and in Brazil and seeing that. So that's why I would write deaf in all these, whenever I got a high score in whatever game I was playing. Um, and, and then the noodles part was just, you know, I was in my kitchen. So I remember this and I was like, I was looking around. I was like, okay, what could be another thing? And I just saw noodles. I was just eating noodles all the time because I was broke. Mm -hmm. So that's where that name came from. And it first started off as a, a reaction channel, which essentially the people who were following me would recommend things that they wanted me to watch and react and comment on. And, um, and then, you know, later on, it started evolving into other things. And I started pushing in different directions and experimenting with different content. And eventually, it ended up becoming... Uh, parody news channel where I would make fun of you know news and different things that were happening mostly on the internet and on the influencer news side and I was essentially satirizing an entire community of commentators on YouTube who take everything super seriously way more seriously than it has to be taken mm -hmm. and you know and that kind of ended up you know growing a lot but what was really scary was that people started taking me seriously, even though it was like very apparent. And I had said from the beginning, pretty much, I did an interview uh, beginning of 2020 or maybe end of 2019, where I explained that this was all a joke, right? Cause it started, I started doing this news parody, I think November, 2019, and it started picking up. So I, you know, somebody interviewed me, I think February, 2020, asked me about it. And that's what I said at the time. And, you know, and it was just scary because in like almost two years, this became, it became like a monster. And it was like, I can't believe it. Like people are actually taking this shit seriously. Like they're <laughs> taking my word. Like they don't Fake understand. news. <laughs> Fake news. Exactly. And like the funny thing was that I would literally tell people like, don't, if you take my new show as a new show, you will be misinformed. And that almost made people want to believe everything even more. <laughs> it's like it's just the reverse psychology of it is just like absolutely insane so you know over time it started evolving and i and i recently maybe like two or three months ago i just ended up killing the series because i was just like i can't i can't keep doing that not only is it not creatively fulfilling for me anymore but it's starting to get like legitimately scary right like people are taking my jokes and things that i say as a joke like seriously and recontextualizing it as though it's something serious. So I just moved on from that. And I, I've been in the last few months kind of resetting creatively, you know, and it's been a big time of transition. Anyway, it's uh, I started this club that you, it's right behind me. It's in that other side of the wall over there. Um, this comedy club. And, you know, uh, so, you know, it's been interesting to see where all this is going. I'm curious to see where it's going to, how far it's going to go, and where it's going to go. And, 
uh, it's like a whole new journey, you know? Mm. And, and it sounds like it too, of course, getting back to the part about uh, where, where people can argue about something, believe it's true. It's just like, you know, okay, here, here's a pencil, argue about it. Or like say, um, yeah. here's a phone, let's argue about it. You know, you know, stuff like that. Or they say, if it's on the internet, it probably is true. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I would actually go as far to say if it's on the internet, it's probably not true. I think <laughs> nowadays, like there's so much misinformation and fake news. And, and even if it's actual information that gets shared out there, there's so many people who will spin it in a way that benefits them. So you have to almost be media literate to a point where you have to read like five or six different sources just so you can get an objective point of view on what is actually happening because a lot of the times nowadays everything's been so editorialized you get the opinion before you even get the news itself and that's really terrifying Mm -hmm. you know because what is even information anymore mm -hmm. i remember back in the day where it's like you had the fairness doctrine like say if you had like you know like like say um a, a Republican show, you had to have a Democrat, you know, speak for 15 minutes. And then you had a Democrat on his show, you had a Republican speak for 15 minutes. I think that should yeah. kind of bring back in a way too. So it's just like, you know, and it's good to have like more than one source and everything else. And the thing is, is that people hear one story and hear that's it. So, you know, people do need to be trained about uh, hearing more sources and everything else. And of course, you know, you know, going to a comedy club and all that. So it's like, you know, you know, people forget about it. And of course you get up on stage and, um, you, you know, maybe some of the things like to uh, talk about, joke about and everything else. And um, maybe hit some of the things that hit people hard and, and everything else like that. Before we talk more about your uh, comedy venture, who are some of your favorite um, comedians and uh, comedy shows growing up? Uh, I, I like a lot of different comedians for different reasons. Uh, some, I, I guess some of the specials that really like, I watched a lot that, uh, really impacted me. Um, Dave Chappelle's Killing Them Softly. Uh, Robin Williams is, uh, Weapons of Mass, of, is it Mass Destruction? No, Weapons of Something Destruction was his last special on HBO. Uh, Chris Rocks, um, I think it's Bigger and Blacker. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I, I've watched, I've also watched a lot of, uh, the, the non like big comics. I've watched, I've watched Bill Burr live too. I've watched a lot of, I've watched a lot of comedy. Um, I like comedy in general. I just like hearing people's different point of view and just seeing how they make that funny to me. That's interesting. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because you just learn, you learn so much, not just about the world, but you learn about like people's humanity through what they find funny and how they can turn something tragic into funny. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really, that's, you know, part of the reason why I, I just, I love this business more than any, anything. Cause it's just, the other day it's just people like communicating in the rawest form. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's uh, something that's really amazing as well too. And uh, where can we find mm-hmm. your YouTube channel, your comedy channel, comedy club and everything. Where can we find all your works at Dennis? So it's youtube.com slash death noodles for a lot of the, the, the stuff that we discussed. There's another page um, where you can find um, the shows. It's death noodle show.com. Uh, it's youtube.com slash death noodle show. Um, I just got banned on Twitch, so you can't watch it on Twitch anymore. Ah, darn it. I was uh, just going to watch it after this. <laughs> and, yeah, and by the way, what yeah. we say is officially true, guys. It is official. We're not putting on this caption crap, guys. This is true, guys. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, yeah, and yeah, what that guy said in the background was true also. It was true. Yeah, we got Corey over here. We got Corey and Steven. They're hanging around. They're two comics. Steven co-hosts the show with me, and Corey is a very funny comic, too. Oh, uh, are they, if they're there right now, why don't you have them come on in and uh, join in? Yeah, I you, guys wanna you, you guys want to come in? You want to say hi? You want to say hi? <laughs> yeah, yeah, come, hey, come on no, in. I a, don't bite. Hey there. Hi, guys. How hey, are you? That's Mike. That's, Mike. that's Corey. That's Steven. Hey, guys. Nice to meet you. Welcome to the Mike Wagner Show. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, Steven and Corey. They're very funny comics. Uh, but yeah, that's what we're uh, now. I'm creating a, a comedy community, and you know, kind of focusing on on expanding that. It's uh, so it's been a lot of fun. There isn't really a name for the club yet. We're kind of in the process of launching everything. But if you're ever in LA and you want to uh, watch some funny shows, we have funny shows every night. Uh, they're on uh, 
7426 West Sunset Boulevard uh, in Los Angeles. It's in the heart of West Hollywood. It's a lot of fun. And, you know, come hang out with us and hear some funny jokes. We certainly will do so. And, of course, uh, the more you drink, the funnier the comedian is. You know, that's what they 100%. say back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I, I like to have a couple of jacks, too, and uh, watch you on stage. So make it a two-for-one yeah. just for me here. So. <laughs> yep. We certainly do still in a couple of jail shots. We're here with uh, Dennis Feitosa, best known as Deaf Noodles, here on the Mike Wagner Show, actor, comedian, writer um, from uh, Brazil, talking to Los Angeles here. And uh, just a few more things. We'd love to have you back on and give us an update and some comedy and everything else. What else can we expect from you in 2022 and 2023 and beyond? Well, I'm definitely going to keep posting more videos on YouTube. I'm going to keep posting, uh, you know, uh, more podcast episodes and, think uh, as far as something new, uh, I, I was working on a half hour before the pandemic started. And then that kind of threw a wrench on everything. Uh, so probably uh, the uh, I'm probably a half hour for me uh, pretty soon. And then once I start putting those out, it's going to be like every six months. So mm. that's really interesting. And we're certainly looking forward to that, Dennis. And uh, who do you consider yeah. biggest? Who do you consider biggest influence in your career? My biggest influence, uh, I don't know, probably my parents, my dad, my mom. <laughs> yeah, I saw them work a lot, and I saw how hard they worked, so it's probably what it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of Looney Tunes behind, which makes it well worth it, too. Yeah. And, uh, and, yeah. and, what's a, and what's the best advice you can give to anybody at this point? Just keep doing it. Just, yeah, ignore the haters. They don't know jack shit. <laughs> <laughs> And that's Did so I true. say that? Yeah. <laughs> of course. I think you said that quite a number of times, and we're not censoring with work crap. You know that. Okay. So. All right. <laughs> you have, you have right. no worries about your safe with me, Dennis. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Definitely, too. We're here with uh, Dennis Feitosa, best known as Death Noodles, here on the Mike Wagner Show. Dennis, a very big thank you for your time. You've been absolutely fantastic. Learned a lot. Looking forward to having you soon. Make sure you keep us up to date. Keep in touch. Love to have you back. And um, once again, tell us about your upcoming project with your website. How do people contact you? Where can people purchase or check out your works at? So, yeah, youtube.com slash Steph Noodles uh, to get the main channel content. YouTube.com slash Steph Noodles show to get the shows out here. We're at 7426 West Hollywood. Uh, no, 7426 West Sunset Boulevard in West Hollywood, the, the heart of West Hollywood, down the block from like the Laugh Factory and the Comedy Store and all these really great uh, clubs. And we have some amazing comedians out here. Um, if you want to come through and check it out and have some laughs, that's where you can come. We will certainly check that out. Once again, Dennis, a very big thank you for your time. You've been absolutely amazing. Looking forward to having you soon. Make sure you keep us up to date. Keep in touch. Love having you back. We wish you all best. And you've got definitely a great future ahead of you. Thank you so much, Mike. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me on.